Welcome to the USU Career Studio podcast that helps you navigate your career path. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to tell your friends and family all about it. Subscribe to our podcast on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, or anywhere else you listen to get access to our newest content. Thanks for joining us for our Friday face-to-face episode. I'm Marissa Armistead, your host, and I'm so excited to have Craig Johnson joining us today. Welcome, Craig. Thank you. I appreciate it very much. Craig is the president of Utah Lean Six Sigma Training Center and the director of quality and continuous improvement at All Metals Fabrication. He has over 20 years of experience in the manufacturing industry, 15 years of experience in continuous improvement, and five years of experience in instructional design. So Craig, as a fun fact, you mentioned that you actually attended six different elementary schools by the time you were in sixth grade. So if I'm doing my math here, about every year you were moving. So what was like the most motivation behind all of these different moves? It's really simple. My stepdad was in the Air Force. I'm an Air Force brat. And so I went to kindergarten in Murray, Utah, first grade in Kearns, Utah, second and third grade in North Dakota, fourth grade in Germany, fifth grade in Des Moines, Iowa, and sixth grade in a little teeny town called Cambridge, Iowa. But the funny thing is, is that seventh through 12th grade was all in one building in another small town in Iowa called Huxley. It was Very all cool. Yeah, the, the, the area has grown quite a bit now. Now the junior high and the high school are two separate buildings. So wow. Kind of, yeah. It's, <laughs> It's very impressive. No, I. it's funny because I actually grew up, well, I should say I graduated high school from a really small town. I think it was under 200 people. And so um, so I do get that small town feel. I have a pretty strong background in that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, the town I lived in, Cambridge, was 300 people. Yeah. And there were four little towns like that that kind of were together into one school district. And But even still, I graduated high school with 72 kids. So it was awesome. Very cool. I'm curious, as you like think back to all of those different places. And maybe since then, what have been some of your favorite places to live? Or we can pick one, I guess. (laughs) You know, people have this impression that moving around a lot as a kid was really, really hard. And that's probably the number one thing that I hear from people. Oh, wow, you moved around so much. Was that really hard? And it really wasn't. It was an adventure. I got to live in North Dakota, this frozen tundra (laughs) of an Air Force base when the second Star Wars movie came out, where it starts and they're on this planet Hoth. And it's, yes, it's this frozen wasteland. I lived there when that movie came out and it was the best. And then we moved to Germany and my parents were awesome in that they wanted to make sure that we were experiencing the culture there. And they really reinforced to my older brother and I that we were the foreigners in Germany and to behave as such. So we lived in a little village off base called Hoofler and it was awesome. It was just such an adventure. And we explored every square inch of that German countryside around our little village. It was just so amazing. No one place, I think, stood out any greater than the other, but the experience of moving around and experiencing different cultures, different people and different environments, different climates is so cool and and so fundamental into shaping who I am as an adult. I love that. And it's interesting because I I did a fair amount of moving growing up as well. And it's funny because I feel the same way. I was actually really grateful. I think in the moment, the first couple of moves were pretty rough because it kind of rocks your world a little bit and and you don't have the same stability maybe that you did in in the past. But then you learn this amazing skill of adapting and meeting people. And and so I really flourished because I think I had to move several times. So it's interesting that you bring that up. Kids are really resilient and and it was far harder on my parents than it was on us kids. Yes. 
I love that. Craig, this month we are talking about failures. And I always, every time I reached out to somebody about this, I'm like, oh, I hope they don't take this the wrong way because I'm talking about failures. Let's get Craig a call. (laughs) Right, right. But I'm actually really excited to chat. You have done some really amazing things with your career, started your own business. And so I'm sure through that process, there has been some serious trial and error. And so I'm actually really looking forward to hearing about maybe some ways that you um, fell short of what you had hoped for, but also ways that you have far surpassed what you thought was possible. So really looking forward. So to begin our conversation, I would love to hear about one of your earliest memories of failing or falling short in some way and what you learned from that experience. Awesome. Yeah. I thought a lot about this question. I don't look back at a lot of times in my life where like abject failure just happened. You know, there's always, especially in my world, in the in the continuous improvement world, there is always opportunities for improvement. But probably, I don't know this is really a failure per se, but when I was a kid, I remember we just had no money. We, we grew up pretty, I, not in poverty, you know, I always had food to eat. I always had clothes to wear, but my parents worked really long and hard to provide for our family, but we just didn't have a lot. And and I realized, again, it's not so much of a failure, but I, I recognized that the things that I saw my friends doing and the things that they had weren't available to me. It was a completely foreign concept for me that people would go on vacation, you know, that they would go to Disneyland or, I mean, Disneyland was like this completely foreign aspect for me that only wealthy people get to go to Disneyland. Yeah, that blew my mind. That was kind of the realization early on for me that these things were not available to me in my current state. So interesting. And I'm, I'm really curious as we chat more, I'm curious to see how that kind of evolves into what you've built for yourself. So with that, I would love to hear a little bit more about your college years. What kind of major or work were you originally interested in? Why? So when I was in high school, I had um, a really cool history teacher. His name is Pat Cole. And not a lot of people probably think high school history is that interesting. But what really struck me about Mr. Cole was he wouldn't just stand up at the front of the classroom and kind of in that Ben Stein voice, you know, on this date, this happened. And these people <laughs> thing at this place. Next page. Some people did this at this time. It wasn't that. He stood up at the front of the class and he told the story of the world. And it was fascinating. I just could not get enough. And again, because he wasn't just droning on about some random facts about this and that, he told the story of our planet and of our people. I thought it was so cool. So I originally attended the University of Northern Iowa because it was a teacher school. That's where you went to become a teacher because I wanted to teach history at a secondary level. Interesting. Okay. So keep going with the story here. So you were really interested in history. Maybe you started Mm -hmm. taking some classes, but then it kind of shifts. So talk to us about the shift. Yeah, it was cool. One of my first history classes I had to take, I had to take an anthropology class and specifically an archaeology class. So archaeology is a subset of anthropology. And I'm sitting there in my class. I'm like a freshman. I don't know anything what's going on. And my teacher walks in and he's got this leather Indiana Jones hat and the fedora and he's got the bull whip. I'm like, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen, right? And he immediately takes those off, tosses them on the counter and goes, this is not what archaeologists do. (laughs) Buzzkill. Oh my gosh. (laughs) It was a super cool class. You know, I loved archaeology. So I very quickly, like that first semester, I changed my major to anthropology because I was fascinated by it. So it's like almost like applied history. You know, you're looking at the physical manifestations of history in our world. 
But I quickly realized that there was no money in teaching, which is a sad, it's still a sad commentary on the state of teachers in our country. Not only was there no money in teaching, there's no money in anthropology. <laughs> there's probably even less. And the, the barrier to find success in anthropology was so, so great. So I just really quickly dropped out of school. I was like, okay, if I don't know what I'm going to do, I'm just going to drop out and figure out what I want to do with my life. And so I needed a little change of atmosphere and of scenery. So I, I moved out here to Utah. I was born on Hill Air Force Base and a lot of my family is from here in Utah. So I moved out here and I got a job in my uncle's sheet metal shop. And, you know, it was just a job to me. I just needed something to earn a little bit of money. But it was there that I started making things and designing things. And I had this really cool experience one day where I had this idea for a thing in my head and I sat down at the computer. I learned how to use AutoCAD. So I started using that. I designed this idea that was in my head. And then I walked out to the shop and used some of the machines to make it. And 20 minutes after I had this idea, this thing that was in my head and was now in my hand. And I was just hooked. I thought, man, this is where it's at. This expressive creativity. And I thought it was super, super cool. So learning how to use AutoCAD at Salt Lake Community College led me to eventually pursue my engineering degree at Weber State University, which led me to process engineering and Lean Six Sigma, the continuous improvement world. And it's interesting. I keep thinking about this history piece because you were so engaged and you, and you loved it. But how did you know, at what point did you say, I have to make the switch? I mean, how did you know that was the right step to take? Right. And that's a great question. So I simplify it somewhat to say, hey, I learned there was no money in it. But that was a painful decision, right? Because I really loved studying it. And for years afterward, I still subscribe to Archaeology Magazine, and which that might be the nerdiest thing I've ever said. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I would still read books and order books. This is before Amazon. Coming that decision to make the switch, it was about what's going to be best. My goal has always been to be a dedicated and caring husband and father. And so I knew that if I was going to be able to provide for my wife and my children in ways that, again, weren't available to me, I needed to up my game and find something that I still love and enjoy, but something that also pays the bills. Yeah, I love that. And I love that you you didn't completely let go of those interests. You just found a different avenue to pursue them that wasn't maybe your full-time job. And I think that's such a healthy way to approach kind of compartmentalizing our lives because we do at some point have to do that, right? We have to say, mm -hmm. you know, this is work and hopefully you enjoy the work that you do, but there are also ways that we can find fulfillment in our, in our lives. So I'm really appreciative that you brought that up. Yeah. If I could be paid for going out running on the trails up in the foothills of the mountains, that's what I would do all day, every day. But sadly, I'm not that good of an athlete and nobody's interested in that. <laughs> so we need to find things that we enjoy, but things that we can get paid for. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So I next, so we kind of talked about kind of leading up to the career, but now take us through and you don't have to talk about every single piece if it's not yeah. necessary, but talk to us about some of the highlights that you remember from your past experience that has kind of brought you to where you are today. Yeah. So there's been a couple things that were very influential in my career. Finding out about the manufacturing engineering program at Weber State was a huge influence on me. I knew that mechanical engineering wasn't right for me because I'm not very well suited to sit at a desk and do that kind of stuff all day. I needed to be a little bit more physically active and a little bit more physically creative. And so a colleague of mine had actually just graduated from Weber State and knew that I was trying to figure out what the heck I wanted to 
to do with my life. And he told me about that and went up and toured the program and I was hooked. That's it for me. That's where I want to go. So learning about the field of manufacturing engineering, also known as process engineering, it was life changing for me. So then through that, I started to become not only through my education, but through my career, I was exposed to the continuous improvement world, Lean Six Sigma and things like that. And as an engineer, I'm kind of a problem solver by nature. And Lean Six Sigma gave me a structured problem solving process. And it taught me to do deep dives into things like root cause analysis and change management and statistical analysis. What is correlation and what is causation? Those are things that not only did they shape my career, they shaped my perspective of the world, you know, it too much to the chagrin of my wife, but it really affects the way I watch the news. I'd be remiss if I didn't say one of the other very influential parts of my career was I worked for a company in the Freeport Center in Clearfield called Malnove Packaging. And my boss was reassigned. He was the VP of Quality and Continuous Improvement. And he was reassigned to create the training and development program for the whole corporation. And so Malnove is headquartered in Jacksonville, Florida, but they also have uh, manufacturing sites in Omaha, Nebraska and Clearfield, Utah. And so he called me up and said, hey, Craig, want to join me on this? And he was the type of leader that I would have followed anywhere. So <laughs> naturally I was in. And so that allowed me to immerse myself this teaching desire and this teaching passion that I have, it allowed me to dive back into that at a professional level. And so I immersed myself in adult learning theory, in instructional design, in corporate L&D, learning and development strategy. And that was super, super, super cool. I just absolutely loved it. Learning about the different competencies, levels of competency and forms of evaluation was so interesting to me in the ways that could be applied and, and just how similar it is to the continuous improvement world. So in the continuous improvement world, one of the fundamental problem solving structures is DMAIC, define, measure, analyze, improve, control. And in the learning and development world, they've got something very similar. They call it ADDIE, which is analyze, define, develop, implement, and evaluate. And those things are very, very similar. So it was like I was doing continuous improvement, but from a training and development perspective. So super cool experience in my life. That's something that I've been able to apply afterward now that I'm teaching Lean Six Sigma for my business. Yes. And so as you're thinking back to all of these different experiences, because I'm the negative Nancy here, what are some times when you felt like maybe you failed or didn't quite meet expectations? And what did you do with those experiences? You know, I think how we deal with failure is such a critically important part of our lives. Even if it's not failure, even if it's just receiving feedback. And so often we are given feedback and our brains kind of lie to us and they tell us that person's a jerk. We shouldn't listen to them. You know, they're just out to get me or whatever. And all that might be true, <laughs> but the feedback is often valid anyway, right? So there were actually a couple times in my career where I was just failing at something and it was getting to the level where it was going to cost me my job if I didn't improve. So one of them was early in my career, in my uncle's sheet metal shop, in fact, we made a uh, kind of an industrial toolbox. And part of that industrial toolbox is a left side component and a right side component. And for the life of me, when I would be forming that metal in our shop, I just could not get the left hand, right hand thing. They were mirror images of each other. And so I'd either end up with a bunch of left hand or a bunch of right hand. And so this led to scrapping almost half of what I produced on a couple days. And that's bad. <laughs> that costs the company a lot of money. 
And my boss brought me into his office and basically said, hey, Craig, look, I love you. You work hard. You're in positive influence here in the place, but I can't afford for you to be doing this. So he actually took me aside and showed me this is how the whole thing gets assembled together. This is the welding that takes place. And this is why we have a left hand and a right hand. And after that, it all made sense. I could see it now and I understood how it went together. And so after that, it was no big deal. I'm sure I still made the random error here and there, but it was never an issue for me after that point. Later on in my career, I was working as a process engineer. And again, this product, it was my job to receive engineered drawings and convert them into work instructions and CNC programs so that they could be produced out in our shop floor. It was my job to determine what were the exact part numbers for the different components that were required on the drawings and such. And there was one piece of it that I just struggled to wrap my mind around. And because of that, I would often specify the wrong part number, which would mean that things were cut the wrong size or the wrong length or the wrong depth. And same thing, my boss brought me in and said, Craig, man, I can't, I can't afford to have this happening. Let's sit down together and let me show you what's going on and why this is what it is and how you can now determine the correct part numbers. And so once he did that, it all made sense to me. Once again, I could see this slightly bigger picture and it made sense to me. Now, in both of those cases, I was shown an example of a supervisor who put in the work to be a true leader. And that was very impactful for me. And rather than just threatening me with my job, they actually invested time into educating a young person. And so those taught me to be a good engineer, but more so they taught me how to be a good person. So those were very important in my life. I love that. And I love this idea of being able to receive feedback. I think especially early on in your career, it's really tough, right? You know, for the most part, if you were a good student in high school, if you were a good student in college, you received good feedback and rarely did you really get a whole lot of negative pushback. And so I think it can be a shock when we enter the workforce and suddenly people are saying, you're not getting hundred percent in this class. You know, you, mm-hmm. you, you need to, you need to step it up. And so I love that you were able to not only receive that feedback, but learn from it and apply it. So you didn't keep making those same mistakes. And, and I think for me, that's the goal. We learn from failing so that we can improve and not do it in the future. And so I love that you've kind of walked us through that process. I think that's a great example. It's, it's so important. It, and that's happened to me a hundred different times, you know, big and large, just being able to receive feedback and regardless of who it's coming from, because you may hate the person that it's coming from, but the feedback may be valid. So go ahead and feel the negative emotions. Deal with that however you need to, but take whatever they're telling you and try to make yourself a better person. It very well may be valid. Absolutely. Yeah. Great advice. So I'd love to shift our conversation a little bit and learn a little bit more about what you actually do. So for people who aren't familiar, talk to us about what Lean Six Sigma training is and why you're passionate about it. Sure. Yeah. So I was exposed to Lean Six Sigma early in my engineering career. And essentially, it's a methodology and strategies and, and specific tools that companies have used for the last 70 years to identify and eliminate waste and variation in their business, whether it's through manufacturing processes or administrative processes or services or whatever. They identify waste and variation and eliminate it. So it started out very early on back in 1930s and 1940s, Japan. They had the small problem that all of their stuff was blown up 
up and they had to learn to produce with not a lot. This was a, an economy that was recovering and they just didn't have the massive resources of the United States. And so they learned to adapt and to be resilient and overcome those obstacles so that they could become the world-class manufacturer that they are today. And I don't remember the exact dates, but something like by 1965 or 1968, something like that, Toyota had produced a million vehicles total in the entire life of the company. By 1975, it was 10 million. And so they, they just kind of had this meteoric rise. And so Lean Six Sigma is the set of practices that have come out of that that helps people and organizations just become better at what they do. And, and that's what I teach. Like I said, I'm kind of a problem solver by nature. And so to have a structured set of skills that allow me to do that, I, and I love sharing that. So there are a lot of consultants out there that companies can hire to come into their business and implement Lean Six Sigma. I much more prefer to teach it so that they can do it themselves. I prefer to teach people to fish, so to speak. Love that. Well, I'm curious, as you've kind of shifted from maybe working as a worker now to more of a leadership role, I'm curious to learn about you know, what is a life lesson that you've learned maybe through failures that you've seen the company go through or yourself? What are some life lessons that stand out? You know, off the top of my head, and I think this comes probably not coincidentally, but I've learned that my experiences and my perspectives are not what everybody has. I grew up in a very small town in Iowa. There was one other person of color in my high school. His name was Brant Jelkin. He was Jelkin and I'm Johnson. Our lockers were next to each other <laughs> throughout all of high school, you know, and then moving out here to Utah. Utah is far more diverse than people give it credit for. But still, I've realized that my perspectives as a white person, as a guy, aren't what everybody else experiences. And it's not that I have to fundamentally change who I am or anything, but I've learned empathy and I've learned to listen and to validate other people's experiences. So when somebody comes and tells me that, hey, Craig, I'm experiencing this, that's valid because that's real to them. And perhaps there are some things that I can do to educate them, to help them see what the reality of what's going on. But oftentimes I've found that I'm the one that's being educated and it's softened me as a person and allowed me to become, again, a, a better human being, but it allows me to be a better leader and a better manager, a better change agent. So off the top of my head, I'd say that's probably the most profound lesson that I've learned over the last 10 years or so. I love that. And I think this idea of vulnerability in the workplace is maybe new, but it's starting to emerge more and more. And the more that we can see people as people, I think that's just been a common theme that I've noticed lately is we have to be able to see each other as human beings that are intricate and have really, really extravagant lives in the sense that we each have so much going on. And so I, I love this lesson of being able to listen and validate. I think that's so important. And often people just need that. They really do. If you want people to come into your business and be engaged and active and, and therefore be good employees, you need to help them feel welcome and help them feel heard and help them feel at home. So oftentimes all it takes is just listening a little bit. Yeah. I love that. Well, Craig, I'm going to just as I'm looking at the clock here, I want to make sure I have time for at least a couple of questions. So I apologize that we'll probably not get to everything today. But All right. <laughs> but that being said, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. I've been thinking a lot about how I think it's so easy to look at other people who seem to have their lives together. They kind of have that perfect life, that perfect career. And it seems like they never really have those moments of big failure. Like they just they don't fail as much. So I'm curious, one, have you ever felt this way where you've looked at somebody else and just said, wow, they have their crap together. And then also, what do you do with that? 
So loaded question, ready, set, go. No, oh, it's awesome. I love this question because as I've built my own business and as I've worked with uh, Rich Marker, who is my boss at All Metals Fabrication, as I've worked with him to build and grow All Metals Fab, we've learned something about these people who, whether it's my neighbor down the street, man, dude has just got it. His kids are awesome. He's got a great career. He's so happy in his marriage or whatever. Or it's the business that you're familiar with. You walk into, it's like, man, these people, they, you have to just sit around and count money all day. That's all, you know, there's this one and exceptionally true reality of both of those things. None of it's true. And that's it. The guy down the street, the family down the street, they struggle just as much as my family, just in different ways. The business that just seems to be so streamlined and so effective, they struggle. They have problems every single day. And one of the things that Rich and I talk a lot about is you have to go through the journey. And this is very applicable in the Lean Six Sigma continuous improvement world. I can't create a business and then be producing at a world-class level tomorrow. I've got to learn the lessons. I've got to take my lumps. I've got to experience the failures and the hardship along the way because those are the things that drive improvements. Those are the things that make us work harder and become more dedicated and drive the work ethic and the successes into our business. So you can't fake the journey. It has to happen. And so that's my observation for, again, whether it's the person down the street or the business down the street, they're struggling just as much as we are. They're run by people who are trying to figure it out just like us. And they just might be a little bit further ahead in the game than we are. I love that. We're all struggling in different ways. And yeah, I think that's a great perspective to have. It's interesting. My husband and I, we started his own basketball business not too long ago. And I think it's so easy for me to compare and say, oh, like, why aren't we making more money? Or why aren't we doing this or that? But then when I actually look at the day to day, you know, the effort and the time and all the things that go into starting a business, like you said, when you start to talk to other people, it's funny because you start to realize, oh, well, everybody feels like they should be making more money. Everybody feels like they should Mm -hmm. have more streamlined processes, you know? And so it's so interesting that you bring up just kind of this reality check of yes, and everybody else probably feels a little bit of that. So I love that. (laughs) Yeah. And again, everybody goes through it. And I've experienced it a hundred different times. You go into a business and you think they have this all together and you quickly realize that their boardroom is full of a bunch of people just trying to figure it out, just like your boardroom. And it's one of the things I love about the continuous improvement world, because everything is a process and the Lean Six Sigma teaches you to identify those processes processes and map them out and identify the gaps and the failures and the potential opportunities for improvement. And I love that. That's why I love teaching businesses that because you can't fake the journey, but you sure can speed up the journey. I love that. Okay. Well, you've been so gracious as to share some of your failures. So I want to make sure we give you adequate time to talk a little bit about things that you have been able to accomplish. So I'd love to hear about one of your greatest professional accomplishments to date and also, you know, the role that failure played along the way in reaching that accomplishment. That's a tough question. Again, looking back at a company, the seemingly profound successes that they have come from a thousand small successes. It's not like one gigantic epiphany and suddenly we're really bad at what we do and all of a sudden we're really good at what we do. Careers are the same way. You know, I learn something new every day. The the people that I encounter, they'll teach me things, whether good or bad, whether it's okay, I'm not doing that. I'm not going to 
that treat people like that. So let me share this story. When I was a young engineer, I worked on some project. And to this day, I don't remember what the project was, but I remember it was very successful because I was called up into the executive boardroom and they wanted me to kind of present this project that I had worked on. And this was the first time it had ever happened to me. I was surrounded by the CEO, the CFO, vice presidents of this and that. And all of these people had so much more experience and so much knowledge. You know, these are people that out earned me by 10 times each, (laughs) you know? So I, I was just so honored to be part of that and to be in there with all these people because I was just not even nobody. If I was twice who I was, I'd be out of been somebody. So they went through the, the introductions and told everybody kind of why I was there and then turned the time over to me. And so I stood up and the first thing I wanted to do was express a little bit of gratitude for why I was there. And so I just started with, hey guys, thank you so much for having me here. I don't remember exactly what I said, but something to the effect of this is the first time I've ever been involved in a meeting like this with a bunch of high powered people like you. And at that point, you know, on the, uh, the, the movie, a Christmas story, when Ralphie is holding the hubcap and his dad hits it and all the lug nuts go flying, right? What does Ralphie say? Right. Fudge. But he didn't say fudge, right? <laughs> I'm in the front of this room and I'm expressing my sincere gratitude for being there. It was this cool career moment for me. And I was interrupted by the CEO who went, fudge, but he didn't say fudge either. <laughs> and he said, can we just get past all this wishy-washy stuff? We have a, a time schedule to keep. So this was this amazing experience for me, this really cool opportunity to be in front of these people. I just had this great success in a project early in my career and just in an instant, it was shot down because that completely changed my experience in there. I very quickly, with very little fluff, said, this is what I did. This is the what the process. This is the outcome. Thank you. Goodbye. I was out. And I promised myself I would never treat somebody that way. I promised myself I would be the type of leader that a young engineer, if they were expressing that kind of sentiment, that kind of gratitude, I would respond not with some pejorative, but with, hey, you earned your way here. Thank you for being here and telling us about what you did. Those things are very important. Those types of failures come sometimes at on the heels of successes. And again, it's what we learn from those things that make us better in our career and better as human beings. Wow. I love that. And I, I really appreciate you sharing that experience. I'm sure in the moment that was probably a really vulnerable moment for you. And, and to have that reaction from a CEO was probably pretty tough, but I love that you're Terrifying sharing this. Is a good word. <laughs> <laughs> if we're being honest. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but I love that you're sharing this. And I think it helps humanize the process because I think mm-hmm. it's really common for especially college students who maybe have an internship and are trying to say, okay, now I'm transitioning into the real world. What, mm-hmm. what do I expect? And so I think just hearing these things is so helpful for people just to to hear and kind of normalize, okay, like this is a process. I'm learning. It's fine. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. It's the real world is very, very difficult to simulate in an academic environment. So to young people who are just coming out of college, just be prepared. It's going to be surprising and it's going to be hard, but it's very, very doable. And if I can do it, shoot, anybody can. So just get out there and be ready to have your world rocked on occasion. But you know, you, you've learned your stuff, you know what you're doing, just go do it and you'll rock the world yourself. I love it. 
Well, Craig, I want to just say a huge thank you. I've so appreciated chatting with you this afternoon. And I can't tell you how much uh, it means to me that you would be willing to chat and, and share all of these personal experiences to help us learn as we, we grow and, and develop in our careers. So thank you so much for being here with us today. Glad to do it. Thank you for having me. This is, this is fun. To learn more about Craig's work, visit the links in our bio below. Thanks for joining us here at the Career Studio today. Please join us next week as we continue to discuss this month's theme of failures to bright futures. Thank you.